This is episode 173 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing the 2010 Winter Youth Celebration Transformation. This is session two with Sean Garman. I think as we uh, listen, you guys, um, you can hear that there's weight and there's burden and there's oppression and there's, um, there's sin and there's darkness. And uh, as you hear Stacy talk about um, what she gets to do in her ministry, and as you hear her story, and you even hear her processing, okay, so here's Kumar's story of oppression and, and uh, working uh, to build bricks under slave uh, conditions and, and literally being a slave. And then she's saying, where is the reflection of burden in my life? Um, one of the first places that we start as we go into this week, and as we talked, you heard some of my burdens uh, earlier. You heard how God transferred my account from temporary to eternal. You heard uh, restoration. As I told you, I I got to live out new roles because God redeems, right? And so the deal is, is here's, here's where we're going with this, is I'm imagining some of you can deal with the idea that there's burden, so I want you to think about your burdens. I want to, th- I, you know, part of transformation is, is actually being courageous and bold to look at what bums you out and being uh, clear with God. She read from Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 starts out saying, cry out to God. God will, God will lift you up. Where does God need to lift us up most from? death. And so tonight, I actually have to sit here and talk a little bit about death, and you're going to be like, bummer. And for me, I was in the hotel room earlier going, okay, I just told everybody what a low-down gravy-sucking pig I was earlier. I can't wait to get back on the stage and not only uh, get back and look at the faces that I told uh, all of the cruddy things that I did during my life, but now I'm going to get on stage and, and we're going to talk about Death. That sounds fun. Not cool. That's not what I actually want to do. And the truth is, is you actually don't want to hear about it. We want to be stoked. We want to be pumped up. And so, like, when Phil comes out and he leads us into worship, the deal is is sometimes it's not there because we haven't done a proper reflection of what exactly God has done. Sometimes people come into churches on Sundays and they're waiting to get filled up. The whole idea is that you lived with God and that you cried out to God during the week so that you have a reason to go, you showed up on Tuesday, you showed up on Thursday, you showed up for me, God, and you lifted me up and you loved me and you gave me life. I'm here Sunday to just cry out your name because I cried out earlier in the week and now I'm going to cry out your praises because you are the Redeemer, you are Hosanna. And so a lot of the times, you guys, we don't want to deal with ugly stuff. We don't want to deal with the ugly stuff in our life. We don't want to deal with the ugly stuff in our families. We don't want to deal with the ugly stuff. That's an ugly situation, Kumar, and millions of slaves, 27 million sex slaves in the world right now, a ton of them in American cities. We don't want to look at those issues sometimes because that's hard. Or sometimes it'll cause us a self-reflection. I have a story I want to tell you about as you're reflecting about what may have possibly bummed you out. 
But I think the most bummer part of life isn't life, it's death. And this summer, I had a, um, a really sad story uh, happen that I have to tell you about, and I'm burdened by it. I was actually considering not coming here and telling you this story. The story is about my 30-year-old um, brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law was a very burdened person. And uh, he was so burdened that he would he'd try and do drugs, and, and he would do a little bit of the fighting. And um, he would do it actually a lot, to the point where he would go to jail. And at one point, when he was about 15, 16, he had spent more time in Portland in the juvie system, the juvenile delinquent system, kid prison, more than anyone had ever in the city. And he was extremely burdened and burdened. And he would rip off stuff, and he would, he would rob people. He'd jack cars. And, uh, and pretty soon he was in the prison system so much that he was comfortable with the burden, that he lived the burden. He lived as a slave to sin. And so he started a gang in the prison. And, uh, and it became well-known. And uh, by the time he was 30, he had some, a few beefs with people. And uh, one of these guys, uh, they liked the same girl. And um, so one, for one spell, one guy would be with her, and then for another couple of months, she would be with the other guy. But these guys were arch enemies, and one of them was my brother-in-law. Well, she called up one night this summer, and she said, Hey, C, why don't you come over, and um, let's hang out. Well, first of all, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and what she's talking about hanging out and doing is sin. And, but that's the burden that he wears. That's the way that he lives. And so he goes over there. It's over here in northeast Portland. And, and he goes over and uh, rides his motorcycle over. And he goes over there and um, he knocks on the door. And he, there are three guys standing there. She had set him up. She said, come on over here at 2 in the morning and wooed him over. And he went over there, wooed by the sin, knocked on the door, and the three guys jumped him. And the three guys started beating him up. And they're not sure what exactly was in his system, but uh, for some reason he was holding his own against three guys. So he could have been on drugs. But he starts fighting back, and, but they had a plan. They knew he would fight back. And so one of the guys took him and threw him out of the apartment onto this this porch area, the cement area, where his motorcycle was. And they threw him again, and then they, they threw him into his motorcycle, and the motorcycle fell over. And then they kicked him in the side. And then he got back up, and he started fighting him. And then one of them panicked a little bit and pulled his weapon out. It was a screwdriver. And he took the screwdriver, and he reached over him, and he stabbed him in the heart. And my brother-in-law fell to the ground, And then they kicked him in the head several times. And then my brother-in-law died.
And then those three guys ran. And then two days later, me and my wife were standing there where her dead brother used to lay. And we're looking at the blood stain. And we're crying. We're not confused. We knew the life that he lived. We could have received a phone call that he did that to somebody, to be honest with you. But we stood there, looking at a very insignificant place to take your last breath. And then a few months went by. And I found out one of the guys who allegedly helped murder my brother-in-law was in my youth group. Why am I telling you this bummer of a story? Because death really sucks. Because there's a part of every single one of us that goes, oh, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Oh, I've done some stupid stuff in my life, but I'm not that guy. And the Bible says that we are. The Bible says that there's been trespasses made, that our beef isn't with some other gangster or isn't with some other person. The Bible says that we live in such darkness that sin robs us and pries us and pulls us in and jumps us and kills us, all while we have a beef with God. Our sinful state says that we trespass against God's holy kingdom. At some point, and maybe even tonight, some of you are spiritually dead. But you can't see it physically, so it doesn't really matter to you. Some of you have been raised from the grave. Some of you have been baptized, but you live like a dead person. See what I mean? by how the story of transformation sounds like a bummer? See what I mean by the burden? Is there a sin that's attacking you? Like those three guys jumping my brother-in-law? Is there a sin that's robbing you? Is there a an oppressor that's stealing from you, your joy, that's repainting a false picture of Jesus? Is there a part of your life that's making Jesus insignificant? Do you hide your burden? Do you feel shame and guilt so much so that you won't go again and again to your Savior? If you want true transformation, if you want life abundant in Jesus Christ, you have to see yourself here. And some of you have. 
And some of you have moved on and said, I'm not a dead man or a dead woman walking anymore. If you have a Bible, will you go ahead and turn to Ephesians 2 again? See, spiritually dead means that you have no appetite. If you were dead physically, you would have no appetite. You wouldn't be asking for anything because you'd be dead. You'd have no faculties. Spiritually dead means that you have no appetite for what is good, the goodness of God. That you have no appetite for spiritual life. Look at this. In Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Let me back up again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says trespasses. That means we're dead in those sins. That, that there's a coup attempt that we're violating God's word, that we're violating his law, that there's a power of sin, that it's pulling us, that it's wooing us back into dead ways. You remember the story of Lazarus? He was a friend of Jesus's. His sisters, Mary and Martha. He had died, and Jesus knew that he had died and wasn't in a rush to go before he actually died to be with him. He waited till he died because he had a conversation with Lazarus' sister to say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. That's the gospel. The gospel is we're all dead in these trespasses, that we're all sinning against God's kingdom, that there's a dispute going on. And you might say, what's the dispute? Oh, I don't know if I'm the dead guy. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have disputes with God? What would that dispute be over? It would be a kingdom a clash. The clash of two kingdoms. Remember when I told you when I was in business, I wanted to build my fame and my wealth and me, 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 me. I wanted my life to go exactly the way I wanted. I had a vision for it. I had my life planned out the way that I wanted it to go. And when it didn't go that way, I was angry. But I let God know that. How dare him? We have disputes with God over the control of our life. Sometimes we live in a sin over and over again and we violate what God's kingdom is about. We have beef with God. It says that we're sons of disobedience. That means we're a part of the corrupt world, that we've taken the deceit, the fallen nature of Adam that we inherited, and we just go ahead and live in that. And we live a life flipping God off. We all do this. 
We're to put off our old self and to begin to walk anew. But the beginning of gospel transformation is the recognition that you once were very dead. You did not get up one day and go, you know, I'm so dead. I just, I'm so dead. Who's got life around here? Hello? Sometimes it shocks people. I've had people come to me after I've talked about this scripture before and go, well, I'm not dead anymore. Well, that's fantastic. I'm very happy for you. I'm not trespassing. In fact, every time you preach, I just check it off and I'm excited that I'm doing so well. Well, Lottie freaking da. I'm very excited for you. You're not in reality. The reality is that we have these dead ways, that there's a dead nature in the flesh. <laughs> I'm really glad God didn't do that. Oh, you're dead over there. Lottie freaking da. Woo, bad on you. Your little coup attempt against my kingdom didn't work. Ah. Yeah, it wasn't supposed to be funny. Anyway, back to the scriptures. It says this, that we get dominated by passion. We lust for things outside of God. And if you're taking notes, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, is really what lays out and asserts these disputes that are going on between us and God, the dead the deadness that we have in sin, the power of sin, and sin's battle. It calls us sons of disobedience. It means we're swayed in a way where we end up unreconciled with holiness, with God, with the life giver. And it says that we come into an alliance with the life stealer, Satan. That's hard news. When do you go, you know, I'm going to go on a little retreat and just count the ways of my disobedience. If we're honest with ourselves, we would journal that way. We would say, oh, I did this today. I was teasing this person. And I got that look finally to happen in their eyeballs that gave me a sick satisfaction that I got them back. Or, you know what? I didn't show up today with the rest of my community when they painted that woman's house because I didn't feel like it. Lottie freaking da. What do you think of that? I'm a little daughter of disobedience. We're not honest about it. We're not honest about how we're affecting others. Look at Colossians 2.8. I know you guys are going to be reading Colossians. Colossians 2.8 says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. So what that's saying is, in conjunction with Ephesians, Ephesians is saying the reason for our death is sin, that we're dead men walking and dead, and dead women walking, and that we, God has a beef and there's a wrath that he has with sons and daughters of disobedience when we go and we conform to this world in contrary to Romans 12 too, right? 
Instead of rejecting what the world has, he's saying we build an appetite for that. And not only that, the Colossians piece says there's these dazzlers that dingle like, like human tradition. Well, you know, I've always gone to church and I've always sat there and I've always said these things and I've even memorized some verses and, and I know all the songs and I know all the people. Isn't that good enough? Well, you ask yourself, is that giving you life? Is that what's picking you up from the bloody mess? Is that what's picking you up from when you allowed sin to continue to rob you and to change your identity and to move you off track with God, to bring you into unholiness? Did the human tradition work or the philosophies? Well, I heard this is a really good saying, or Dr. Phil said this, or, or you know, this was really good, this, or I'm really into kind of new age stuff, or you know what? I'm with God when I'm with in nature. The Bible is saying that's just a big empty pinata that if you knock it out, it's an empty philosophy. There's nothing in it. And whatever will fall out is temporary. Is there any good news? Is there any good news? Is it really disgusting to ask you to think of of my brother-in-law with a screwdriver in his heart? Is it really hard to look at your own sin and how we are dead in our trespasses? Because I would argue this. If you are not willing to look at how your making your little coup attempts and disputing who has control and lordship over your life, if you're not willing to look at the ugly mess that that is, and even the sins that have taken place in your life that is causing you and tempting you to do more sins, whatever your excuses are for not looking at it or for self-medicating it, I would say if you're not willing to consider yourself dead, then you didn't want to look at the bloody mess at the cross and what Jesus accomplished through his blood-splattered Calvary moment where he died and in total agony was separated from the Father and his relationship to take on all of our sins. And if we're not willing to look at the huge disparity between the darkness of our sins and the glory of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for life, for you, right now, with the sin and the burdens that you consider, if we're not willing to look at that, then we are missing the point. And then we are misvaluing the worth, the worthiness of Jesus Christ. If we do not see ourselves as dead without Jesus, if we do not see that we do flickers of death living, and I'll get back to Lazarus. Lazarus, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the grave and resurrects Lazarus and calls him by name to himself. And one of the first things he says is, don't let those death clothes entangle you. And that's Jesus saying to us, I've raised you up, son or daughter. I've given you life. You've experienced death. And quit wearing your funeral clothes. Stop wearing your grave clothes. Move forward and take this robe of salvation that I've put around you and sense the worth that I've placed you among the living. If 
you're a note taker, I want you to write down Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Those are the next verses. We did 1 through 3. That's the terrible news of our nature, of wrath, of our beef with God. But verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That was awesome if you saw that. That was a prop. It was right when I said lift. This thing came off the stand. I thought you were. I saw you. How about I repeat this part? If we have to sit and look at our sin and be honest, and we have to repent for those sins, and we, and we get to, rather, we get to repent of these sins, then this is good news. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God saved you, and if you're somebody that has accepted Christ and you've started to believe and you go, you know what? I can deal with the dead picture you've given me. I'm in touch with being dead. I know when I act like a dead person walking. I know what that looks like when I do those things to those people. I know what that looks like when sin gets the best of me and corrupts me. I know what it looks like when I'm careless with the life that God gave me that he wants me to walk a life worthy of the gospel. But I want to remind you that verse 4 through 6, there's three things, really simple things, that when you're in despair, I want you to remember that God loves you. God gave his love like a pit bull, okay? I don't have good visuals, are they? They're all kind of urban. My neighbor has a pit bull, okay? That pit bull, I look at that pit bull, and he looks at my knee like I'm going to eat it. Like, mm, I can't wait. Let's slap some sauce on that. I'm taking your knee out, neighbor. I don't like that look he gets every once in a while. And the fence is flimsy. You're over there by the fence, and the pit bull's coming up, and he's going, raw, 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 raw. You're like, he's a tough, bad dude. They're just built bad and tough. He's just looking at me like, I'm going to eat your knee off. And I'm like, I hope you don't. But you could. You're strong. Here's my point. Where do we go with the pit bull thing, right? You're going, what in the world? He told us death. The pit bull thing is this. God is better than a pit bull. No, was that it? Hmm. Somehow that didn't sound like it came out right. Um, God is better than a pit bull. Oh, yeah. Here's what it is. is If you look at a pit bull and they get this look on their eye, and then if they ever get something, like when they get something in the yard, my neighbor's got all these dogs, and this dog goes nuts. Whenever it gets what it wants, and it never lets it go. God gets what he wants. Nothing stops his love. He doesn't have the crazy look of a mad dog. He has the crazy look of a mad lover. He has the most amazing look and purpose and power to go get you. When you got a screwdriver through your heart, 
when you're all laid out and you're gasping for your last. Have you ever heard somebody gasp for their last? Me and my son sat at a hospital bed of a 62-year-old man who had the most nasty, crazy life you've ever heard, and we heard him gasping his last. But differently than my brother-in-law, he knew the Lord. See, my brother-in-law, I told these gangster, a pimp, a drug dealer, and a gangmanger. Sounds like a joke. But it's not. As we talked about what they saw and heard that night, I got to tell them the story about Jesus. And they knew I was sad because that was my brother-in-law. But I got to show them this tattoo. And I got to say to this big dude, do you know what this means? This means that there's a power to get up from death. Do you have that power? Are you living with the constant power of resurrection? Has Jesus called your name, but you're wearing death clothes? Do you want to enter into gospel transformation further? And I'll end with a story. See, I know we've been talking about you individually, but I want you to think about people who walk death out in your community. I want you to read Ephesians 2. I want you to know that the three things, that God loves you, that God gives you life, and that God lifts you up. It's really easy. Love, life, lift. I was a youth pastor before I started this church, and I was a youth pastor in in North Portland, Nopo. Uh-huh, no Poe over there, they giggled. No Poe. And uh, in North Portland, there's a few tough people around there every once in a while. Can you imagine that? So I asked two students separately. I said, who do you think is the most unlikely to take the power of Jesus in their life? Oh, that's easy. I'm just going to call him Jay. That's Jay. That's J.M. You don't want to deal with J.M. at school. This is Roosevelt High School. My two sons go there now. Roosevelt Rough Rider. Rough Rider. Okay. So the Rough Riders. And uh, I say, who's the most unlikely to take the power of Jesus? And they're like, oh, that's easy. That's J.M. Went to another kid. I said, out of all the kids of the school, it's not a big school. It's about 1,100 kids at the time. 600 now. Some of you go to schools with 43 kids. I get that. And some of you are homeschooled with your brothers and sisters. Okay, we got you covered. <laughs> totally understanding it. Make it work for you. Okay. Of all the kids in your school, who's the least likely to take Jesus on? Oh, that's easy. That's J.M. That's J. Why? Because I'm thinking... Other people have said that too. Why? Why this guy? Oh, yeah. Well, when we're eating lunch, out of nowhere, he'll drop his bologna sandwich, step on the top of the table, scream at the top of his lungs, look at the whole cafeteria, and then get back down and finish the sandwich. 
And I'm like, oh, you mean he might be kiku, kiku, yeah, he's crazy. Teachers are totally afraid of him. You got to see him play football. Oh, I went and watched him play football. He's like this tall, but he's that pit bull type person. He's just all over the place and he's super strong. And then one day I decided to go watch him wrestle. And he's wrestling and you can tell he's tough and he's got it, but he loses. And then he goes out right next to the gymnasium and he goes walking up and down and you can hear him yelling. The whole gymnasium can hear him just going, rockin', rockin', rockin'. you know, he's verbally vomiting. And everybody's like, all the teachers like, me no talkie. I don't and I'm sitting there and I'm like, it's gonna be me. God's gonna send me out to talk to crazy baloney eater. Crazy baloney eaters out there. And he just lost. And if he puts me in a headlock, I might cry. <laughs> but anyway, so I go out there, and I'm like, hey, man. Uh, I'm kind of trying to act tough, to be honest with you. you know, you're kind of, hey, bro. <laughs> hey, bro. And then he's in one of his verbal vomits, and he puts the verbal vomit aside, and he turns around, and he looks, and he just sees me standing there. I'm like, hey, dude. Uh, Looks like you lost. Not a good start. I mean, his eyes inset. He became like, Satan. You know, he's looking at me, and I'm like, I'm one of those adults afraid of you now. Mama? So he is looking at me, and I'm looking at him, and I just kind of walk up to him, and I go, uh, dude, you don't even know me. That's kind of a no-duh. But I'm like, hey, dude, you don't even know me. And, uh, but I've seen you play football. And uh, I know that that's the first match you've lost like in three years. And, uh, but I'm, I'm just, this is me going out on a limb. I'm thinking you have a heart problem, like an attitude problem. I said that to him. And then I ran. <laughs> I stood there. I stood in it, people. I stood there and I said, I think you got a heart problem, dude. And I got a whole bunch of kids and my wife cooks good and I got a body problem. How about we work out and while we work out, we talk about your heart problem and then I get to work out. <laughs> and he just looks at me. Totally confused. And I went, I'll leave you with that. <laughs> and I walked away. And two weeks later, two kids from the youth group called me from the school. Pastor G, Pastor G, you're never going to guess. And I'm like, what? Jay's coming to youth group. And I'm like, <laughs> this means we're going to have to hire security. <laughs> Jay's coming to youth group. I'm like, okay. So he comes. And all the kids are kind of afraid. <laughs> and I literally have a very strong middle-aged man come to me and goes, I'm afraid. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So we'll just give him Jesus. So I start telling him about Jesus. And there's about 65 to 80 high schoolers there that night. And I'm talking. 
and somebody's hand goes up. Whose hand do you think it is? Hey, why are you saying all of this? I'd rather have the pit bull on my knee right now. Uh, well, this is what we talk about, man. We talk about like who Jesus is and the power of who Jesus is and all that. I don't think any of these guys believe it. Now it's getting interesting. I see them all at the same parties I go to. There's at least 12 of these dudes that come here all the time that are always at the parties. They're sleeping with their girlfriends. This is him talking in the middle of the whole group. I said, give me their names. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, interesting, thank you. Duly noted. Started coming, asking all really good questions. The first time he left, he left through the second story window and dropped down. We were like, really? He opened the window and went, and we're like, Wolverine. Wolverine's going to come to Christ. This is awesome. So he kept coming. And then the last day of school came. And Jay walks in. I'm talking, mm, you know, necklace, no neck. He's got a Misfits t-shirt. He likes hardcore music. He's hard. Last day of school, he says this. Hey, Sean, that stuff you've been talking about, It's the truth. I've been examining it. I've been seeing it around life. I came here to tell you that I appreciate you for telling me that stuff. And you know what? I know that that's who Jesus is. I want Jesus. Takes off his shirt. I'm like, why are you taking a shot? Because you're buffed. <laughs> Takes his shirt off, walks over to my trash can, and goes, Phew. closes the trash can. I go, what are you doing? I go, I like the Jesus part, but why are you putting the, your clothes in there? Are you going to put me in there? Because <laughs> you just found Jesus. I can't wear stuff like this anymore. It dishonors Jesus. I don't want to wear those clothes anymore. My backpack had his football number on there. It said like 53 is God. He walks over, dumps the contents out, and puts the backpack in the trash. I don't want to dishonor God. Isn't there a prayer we're supposed to pray? And I go, oh, yeah. (laughs) He prays. He accepts Jesus, the most unlikely, the dead man walking. 
the bad apple. That's the Christian correct way to say it. Bad mamma jamma. God is stronger than anybody who has a beef with God. And he will love you. And he will give you life. And he will lift you up. And he will call you out. And you will never wear those dead clothes again. What's that mean? It means we walk in new ways. But we have to be aware of where we came from. And what our God is willing to do for us. Because yet while we were still sinners, he died. Jesus died. His name's Josh, not Jay. Josh entered into the Marines and watched two of his best friends die next to him. Josh came back still believing he loves Jesus. Is he a hard dude? Does he have more transformation? Definitely. Does he still scare a lot of people? Yes. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you are the king of life. You take dead people and you make them alive. You save us from our sins. You put our enemy under your foot. We are victorious in you. We are more than conquerors. We are hyper Nike, forever winning. We thank you, Lord, for the taste of life. We ask that we would become addicted to that, Lord, and that it would invade every faculty, that we would desire and thirst and hunger more for you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to have and accept what you have for us, new life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be with our Father. Again, Jesus, we, we extend our hands out, our open palms. We just want to worship you for what you've given us. You took us from death and you gave us life. And we get to raise those open hands. And we get to honor you and praise you. And we get to pray that you'll continually move over us in a powerful way that we would talk and speak and act and love and word and deed in your way, the way of love, the way of life, the way of resurrection. We thank you, God, for our time here. We're so looking forward to tomorrow. We're so looking forward to next week. Right now, we will savor you invade our hearts and our minds. We love you. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.